0: This is an AMI podcast.
1: Welcome to the Triple Vision podcast, your window into the past, present and future of blindness in Canada. This podcast has been made possible by a generous contribution from T-Base Communications and the support of the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. The mission of Triple Vision is to gather and document previously untold Canadian blindness narratives, one lived experience at a time, and to make our history accessible and universally known.
2: Welcome to Triple Vision. I'm David Best, bringing you part three of the history of education for blind children in Canada. In this episode, Peter and Hannah will be interviewing Two people that attended the Jericho Hill School in Vancouver.
3: One of the schools that uh, we're going to be exploring is Jericho Hill School for the Blind, which was based in Vancouver. And it had a couple of, of false starts. It first started in it had two starts in Victoria and then moved over to Vancouver, where we we're familiar with it from that point on. And today we have with us Diana Brent, who attended the school in the 1950s. So we'd like to welcome Diana to the podcast this morning.
0: Do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: I was born in 1950 and I started school at Jericho Hill School in 1956. Now, I was from a rural community about 350 miles north of Vancouver at the time, and my father's job was there, so the family could not move, and so I stayed within the, the residence at the school during the week. On weekends often, I was lucky enough to have relatives who lived in Vancouver, and so I could go home for weekends often. Even if my parents were down during the weeks, they wouldn't let me see them except on weekends because they said it was too disruptive to the the school and the other students if they did that. In my first class, there was only five kids. And two of us were totally, no, three of us were totally blind and two had partial vision. And then there was a couple that came later. By grade three, there was probably eight or nine in the class. Now, the interesting thing about Jericho that first year was that they were just opening a new part of the school, when I first started up until Christmas, we had to be housed in with the deaf students because the blind dormitory area wasn't open yet. And the problem with that was that the powers that be never explained to the deaf children that we couldn't see and never explained to us that they couldn't hear. Um, By Christmas, they opened up the dormitory section. So when we all came back after Christmas, we moved into that section. Jericho, I believe, went up to grade 10 and then kids were either integrated or they didn't go to school after that. I know later, there was talk of abuse at the school. And I can see how that can happen because it's a closed institution. I don't think I was ever abused, but everything was very in-house. If you were sick, you went to, and I don't mean, I mean the kinds of colds that kids get and that kind of thing. They had what they called the infirmary and you went there. And the nurses were mostly, you know, they were nice. Did you have any kind of, uh, impression of the school as a as a young girl. I remember it that building being feeling really kind of old, and it had like wooden floors, and it smelled old. The dormitories in there seemed kind of open, like they had no doors on them. All the doors were inset, so you never bumped your... You couldn't bump yourself. The doors were all uh, all inset so that when they were open, they just came out flush with the edge of the wall. At the tops of the stairs and the bottom, they all had... um, textured so you knew that the stairs were coming and I think in some ways that was good but in other ways the world isn't like that nobody had white canes Um, (laughs) and uh, anybody that had a little bit of vision was expected to show the blind children around one of the things that I did get out of, of Jericho was a really good grounding in braille and that's also the main reason that my parents agreed to send me and didn't fight harder well and I, and they couldn't have i think there was no option when i first started to go into my home school because my parents believed i needed braille that was my ticket to literacy so after grade 3 why was the decision made that you
3: go back to school at grade 3 not Five or you know, not grade five. Well, or six my or parents so
1: started fighting for because I think they figured once I had basic braille skills that they were prepared to put in the time and the support to to help you know help me, and that I they wanted me to be at home.
0: Yeah, so your parents decided after a few years that um, they wanted to bring you back to your home school, the school in your home community. Do you know how they managed to do that? Do you know if that took a lot of persuasion on their (laughs) part? I mean,
1: I, I wasn't totally involved in it because I was away at school. But I know that my mother attended every school board meeting from the time I started grade two until... They finally relented and gave me three ultimatums in order to go to public school in my hometown. The first one was that I had to learn to type because they didn't teach typing in um, Jericho until grade five. Uh, We had to find a teacher in town that would have me in the class. And the third one was that I couldn't fail a grade. And so they finally, and I think, see, I think there was some politics involved too, because the, um, the school had just recently opened and the government had put a lot of money into it. And so Jericho wasn't keen for me to leave and be successful. Because they were afraid that a lot of other kids would also try to leave. And then, you know, they just opened this new school. And um, then they would, you know, they wouldn't have the numbers of students they needed. So, I mean, they couldn't refuse me once the local school board um, said I could go. But they didn't do anything to make it easier for me to, to go to my
3: home school. Do you remember, Diana, having friends at at school in Williams Lake?
1: Oh, um, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I do. Jericho always ended a week before the rest of the school did, the, the other schools did. So they did kind of a trial run. And I went into the grade two classroom every afternoon that last week um, and spent with the other kids. And that week and the next beginning of the next year, or the grade four, when I started at the school, I was a novelty. I had such cool toys and <laughs> I, all this stuff. And I used to do math on a pegboard called a tailor frame, and I I won't explain it because it doesn't really matter, but it was a way of putting down numbers, and then you could read them, and I could read them to the teacher or braille them. But the kids didn't always know that the pegs were positioned to make numbers, and so sometimes they would come along and move them all. I mean, they weren't being mean. They just saw this interesting peg board, and they (laughs) would move the pegs um and at first yeah I had a lot of I had oh everybody in the school liked me but then I got kind of boring because I couldn't play dodgeball at recess and the kids, girls were doing top scotch and Chinese skipping which really dates me I know but <laughs> um and and that was hard for me to play so I, I got whittled down to a few friends that I had. And I always had one or two friends in school, but I didn't, I mean, I wouldn't say I was like the most popular kid or anything like that. But I always had one or two good friends, and I, I still have one of them. Um, whenever I go to Williams Lake, I go and, and visit them.
0: So Dana, how? well did you feel prepared between those two um, school systems? You had a taste of a segregated school system and then you went into an integrated setting. How well did you feel prepared for the rest of your life by the time you finished that part of your education?
1: Being integrated when I did was one of the best things that ever happened to me in terms of making me be resourceful. But the one thing I discovered after I left school, we asked every year for books in Braille and you asked through CNIB, that was how you got the the books and CNIB would say, oh, we don't have this and we don't have this till, and my parents would end up reading them. Then I found out a lot of those books were on tape, but because Mm -hmm. I asked for them in Braille, they didn't offer to send them to me in tape.
3: Those few short years you spent at Jericho, yeah. um, did you maintain friendships from that time? Was it important for you to have other students, other people in your life that were blind
1: too? Meeting kids there was easy because they were just like me, and and so that part of it was a good thing uh, in in many ways. The kids at Jericho, there are some that I have. Um, kept in contact with um, probably probably four or five of them and um, at least and we're we're all still good friends so how would
0: you comment on education now I mean given your experience with these two worlds although the one world was just for a short period in terms of what you know about kids in schools now and and being integrated how would you comment from on the education system now from what you know, what you've seen? It's,
1: it's very interesting that you ask that question because when I first finished, when I first left school up until a few years ago, I really felt that the best thing for kids to have happen to them is for them to be integrated from the get-go. But the problem with that is, is that there's not enough resources to put into education so that the kids, and I, and I know this because I was a teacher for 10 years in teaching kids with visual impairments, and you don't have enough time to be as consistent constantly to do. Keep the, teach, the teaching of the blind-related skills up when you're trying to teach everything else as well or give them the skills to be able to do those things as well. It's very hard. And so it's, it's a, I don't know. So I think there has to be a combination. And I never mm. would have said that a few years ago. <laughs> when you finished high school, did you have
3: expectations of maybe furthering your education or going to work or did you feel like you had a future? I always
1: knew I was going to go to work and I was going to get married and I was going to go to university. I think expectation is the key. So many families see blind children and they they're very concerned They all they see is blind and they can't imagine them working. They can't imagine them cooking. I always figured I was going to go to university and I did.
0: I find it interesting as you tell us your story, and thank you for telling us your story, is that the expectations and your success, because I really think you are successful in having navigated the world the way you have, has probably, I'm gonna say, less to do with the school system and much more with your home environment. Would that be correct?
1: Uh, You know what, I think that is true. I am so frustrated by the fact that many parents today of blind children seem to figure that the school is going to teach them everything and be and be able to fill in all those skills because in quotes they're blind and The school can't do that. I think my schooling was important. Um, The way I was schooled made me become very resourceful and figure things out. And that's part of the school system's problem, I mean, issue. And I think it, it, for me, it was good. But the home environment is paramount. I think um, kids really, really are behind the eight ball if they don't have a support system and i don't mean a support system that does everything for them because that's almost worse than than the ones that push them and and but put in the time to teach them too or work with them it's not teaching but and expect them i mean just fit into the family atmosphere not be coddled
0: Well, thank you very much, Diana. Thanks for sharing your story. Today, we're continuing our exploration of uh, residential schools for the blind in Canada and uh, our exploration of Jericho Hill. And I'm thrilled to have uh, Nora Sarsons with us, who um, has been, uh, went to Jericho quite some time ago. And, and I, I'd like her to tell us about that. So Nora, can you introduce yourself? And then we can start talking about how you and when you started going to Jericho.
4: I was born in Montreal, and we moved out to BC in 1947. And I was in grade five, I was four or five. And it was realized that I really didn't wasn't coping in school. And I started going to Jericho Hill in the fall, in September of 1949. And I, uh, I was there for from 1949 to the spring of 1955. So I was actually there for six years.
0: What are some of your earliest memories of being at the school?
4: It was actually quite awesome. I don't know whether you know, but the school was where the Army was during the war. And so all our buildings, where I lived, in an army barracks. You know the the old H. Mm-hmm. They were shaped like an H with two wings and a, washrooms in the middle. In those days, it was called the Provincial School for the Deaf and the Blind. I was in a sight saving class.
0: Can you explain that? What did what did people mean by sight saving?
4: Saving was we used large print. We had special paper that we wrote on with big lines. Even the chalk for the blackboard was thick chalk.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And we and we we had our books were all large print. Not like we have now. They were just they were just print books, but I guess they got them from the States. They were all very nice books. And our teacher read to us a lot. Um, it was it was like what you call a rural classroom. We had umpteen grades in the same class, and I was always the only person in my grade. It was like a one room schoolhouse, and we had an amazingly wonderful teacher called Ann Nicholson, and she was just a wonderful woman.
0: Were there other sorts of classes uh, in music and oh, physical yes. education, those kinds of things?
4: Yeah, I I. I was um, I was 11 going on twelve when I went there, and one of the first things I started to learn to do was type. I could type quite well when I was you know in in grade five and we had large print typewriters with no markings on the keys. We had to learn the keyboard. Um, we couldn't look at them because there was no point in it. There were no letters on them.
1: Right.
4: Um, we had piano I had piano lessons. Well in the evening we did hobbies and we had all kinds of we learned weaving and knitting well our our home ec- the one of the teachers taught us knitting at that time we were mostly boarders there were day students who lived here in Vancouver but so we we had people from all over British Columbia uh, up in the north even the Yukon and um we We went to school in September. We went home for Christmas. And then after Christmas, we came back to school, but we didn't go home again until June.
0: How was that for you, being away from your family for that amount of time?
4: Difficult, and it wasn't difficult. Because when I was at home, I had a perfectly wonderful family and a father who was the best reader in the world. But I had a rough time in school, very rough time in school. I was... Um, I, I don't say I was bullied. People used to put stuff in my lunch, but um, they they called me eight eyes because I had such thick glasses and that kind of stuff. And and I, I lived in Oliver in the Okanagan. And my family was very well-known in Oliver because my grandparents were pioneers there. So we, we had a well-known family, but there were some pretty weird people in the school. And there was no no support system whatsoever in school.
0: This was before you went to Jericho or, or after Jericho? Before,
4: before I went to Jericho. Before, yeah. Well then I went back to Oliver in grade eleven and twelve. I went I was one of the first people that entered into a program and I and I I think I'm right. It was known as the San Francisco Project. And the, at least I think that's what they called it. And it was where we lived at Jericho and we went out every day to Kitsilano High School, that's where I went, to Kitsilano High School, who had a sight-saving class. So we had some of our classes in Miss Siller's classroom. But then the rest of it, they, we went out into regular classes with other students, like for science and stuff like that. We went out and somebody would, whoever was a good note-taker in the class, would take the notes. They would copy their notes with carbon paper Before computers, before tape recorders, all all this was happening with no with no electronics. It was amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it sounds like it was actually a pretty good model for the time. You know that you had resources that you needed, and you had integration as well.
4: Well, we needed a lot of human readers. I, you know, we needed people to read to us. Um, we could get some of our books on talking books. And when I first was using talking books, I think it was before I went to Jericho, the record the, the books were came in great big boxes and they were 78 RPM records. My grand my father used to claim he needed a pickup truck to pick up the books at the post office because they came in big boxes and you had to keep jumping up and changing the turning the record over. You know, and now we listen to it on our iPhones.
0: How did you feel your education between Jericho and Kitsilano and back in oliver how do you how do you feel that prepared you for the work world and like life after high school?
4: Well, I guess I don't know that it really prepared me for work. I knew how to type was it? I would have loved to have gone to university, but it was very difficult to go to university then. There were a few people did, but not like now and um i um i I like typing. So I came down here and I lived at the YWCA after school when I came down here. I lived with a family for a while, too, and sort of helped look after their children.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And I I went to night school. I want, I thought I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. And they had a program in those days to teach people to teach kindergarten. There were no school ones. They were all private. And I did that, and I did very well in the course then when I started working for somebody in a kindergarten, I realized it was terrible because I did well with two or three kids. But when there were 30 kids, I couldn't see what everybody was doing. And it was a it was a nightmare. So I stopped doing that. And I went to vocational school here in Vancouver. And I did dictaphone typing. And, and by that time, there was a, such a thing as a dictaphone. And um, while I was doing that, we had a workshop at In the old CNIB that was on Broadway, before, before 36th Avenue, there was the, the CNIB was down on Broadway. And we had a great big area downstairs in the building. And we did jobs for people like stringing tags and packaging Easter eggs and all that kind of stuff. It was lots of fun. And they, and they paid us something because we were all on blind pension, but we got extra money for doing that. And I went and I, but I was also going to the vocational school and I did typing and stuff like that. And then uh, somebody had the brilliant idea that they could make us into medical stenos. And her name was Billy Gibbs and she was the head of the lab at St. Paul's. And so they got together with um, Isabel Beveridge. She did this thing and she got in touch with doctors and everybody and we had a course in learning to be medical stenos, and uh, this Billy Gibbs at the at the hospital came, and she was our teacher and Then we had various doctors come to talk to us and 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 we used the c n i b boardroom for a lot of our meetings and I became a medical stenographer where I worked for thirty years as a medical stenographer. no, I worked until i had to i had to go on long term disability but um, and in the meantime, I got married, and I don't have any children.
0: So, Nora, what do you think was your biggest sort of takeaway from Jericho? What What do you think that prepared you for the well, most?
4: We all had disabilities, and and we lived with the deaf kids. I could sign. I could, I I could sign better than I could read signing, but I can still fingerspell, and and I I had the girls in the dorm taught me to sign, but we realized that we weren't the only person with a disability. Hmm. I was always the only one even in when I lived in in Chambly in Quebec.
0: Can you comment on how you think education is working today? So you've seen well, a lot here in terms of, I've you know, your story and now integration.
4: I think the thing that's helped everybody and I think you will all agree with me, the thing that has helped us so much is computers and now I don't know any young school kids, but when I see what they're doing with blind beginnings and everything, those kids have a ball and, and they, they've got a support system. I, I don't, I've never talked to any of them who are the only one in their school, but I do know a lot of the teachers or have known a lot of them have retired now. And, um, you know, they have the vision teachers, and that's good. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, now they're getting very well educated and they can go to university if they want, or, you know, there's all kinds of things people can do.
0: So it sounds like, all in all, it was a very positive experience for you at Jericho.
4: Well, I think so. Um, you do miss your home, but, and, and of course, nowadays, if I was in school now, I would have my iPhone and I could talk to my mother every day. But in those days, it was a very expensive, long-distance call.
0: Well, it's delightful to hear your story, Nora, and, and how positive the Jericho experience was for you.
2: Thank you, Peter and Hannah, for bringing us those interviews. It seems to me that overall the experience was positive. Some of the schools seemed like they had a better academic uh, record while some of the other schools had a better social development kind of skills program for the kids. But overall, I would say that it seems like having a segregated school for young children is a good starting point for their life. And then integrating them at a later level of education seems to give them the skills they need to get out into the job world.
3: Yeah, I I agree with you on that, David. It's, uh, you know, a school is more than just your education. You know, there's a social aspect to it. You learn how to get along with people. And, you know, being away from home is a huge learning curve for kids. And that gives you a lot of confidence when you can live away from home. So next up on Triple Vision, we're going to speak to the principal of W. Ross Macdonald, as well as a former student from there, and uh, find out a little bit about the history of that school and its academic record, as well as it's the last school for the blind that's still functioning in Canada today. So we look forward to hearing
2: that story. So tune in on our next episode. Triple Vision is made possible by the generous support of T-Base Communications and the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. Triple Vision is produced in collaboration with Accessible Media Inc, AMI-audio. Sam Robinson is the technical producer with the assistance of Jacob Shemansky and Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Finally, we would like to thank you for joining us on this journey. If you would like to reach out to the Triple Vision team with questions or comments, You can reach us by email at triplevision21 at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at triplevision21.